in this second lab on Romans 9, we're going to ask three questions. How does Paul emphasize that he's speaking the truth? Number two, why does he feel the need to say three different ways that he's speaking the truth? What, what makes him think people might doubt him? And the third question is, how can he have unceasing anguish in his heart if he obeys his own command from Philippians 4, rejoice always? So, Father, as we undertake this truth-oriented question and this emotion-oriented question, grant us to grow up into Christ so that we speak the truth the way the Apostle Paul does, though we're not authoritative like he is. There is a kind of love for the truth and a being in Christ and in the Holy Spirit that relates to us. Help us to grow up into that and to go deep into the anguish Paul felt, and the joy that he knew. So make us mature in these ways, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have Paul saying, I am speaking the truth. And then three times I'm speaking the truth. Three times he says, one, in Christ I'm speaking. Two, I'm not lying. Three, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. What do those mean? I am speaking the truth in Christ. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm conscious of being united to the living Christ as I speak. I'm conscious that I have put my faith in him, have been I'm a new creation in him. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not my own. I belong to another. I give an account to him. In other words, there's a profound Christ consciousness about Paul's speaking. And I want to just commend that to you and ask, do do you ever think that way when you're talking, that you are in Christ? You're not your own. Your mouth belongs to Christ. Your mouth is representative of Christ in a a profound sense. Now that you are dead to your own self and alive in him, he, he is your mouth. So Paul is drawing us to be very Christ conscious in our speaking. And then he says, I'm not lying. Lying doesn't belong in my life. It's not part of what Christians do. It's not part of my new nature. Um, Over in in Ephesians 4, he said, put off the old nature. And then he said, don't lie to one another. And so lying doesn't belong to us when we are in Christ. I don't do that. I'm not a liar. I'm speaking the truth. Christians don't need to protect themselves. We are the most secure of all people. In time and eternity, nothing can ultimately harm us, and therefore we don't need to manipulate reality by lying and deceiving. And then the third thing he says is the most strange of all. My conscience, now everybody has a conscience. Your conscience is a your alter ego that watches you talk and watches you act and then renders judgment, right? That was good or that was bad. So you feel bad or you feel good according to what your conscience sees you do. But he doesn't say that merely because everybody could say that. Everybody could say, my conscience bears me witness. He adds, in the Holy Spirit. So here he speaks the truth in Christ 
And now he says, my conscience renders judgments in the Holy Spirit. So he's not only conscious that he is um, united to Christ and belonging to Christ and giving an account to Christ and living in the power of Christ, but the Holy Spirit lives in him. He is in the Spirit, it says back in chapter 8, because the Spirit is in him. When, we, when he is in us, we are in the sway of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is shaping, is shaping Paul's conscience here. I think if we pressed in on Paul, he'd say something like, um, I'm not, to, to any awareness of mine at all, grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm not resisting the Holy Spirit. In fact, as I lift up Christ here, I'm um, yielding to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was sent to magnify Christ. And so what I take away from this way of talking about his truth speaking is that we Christians should live in a constant awareness that we are not our own. We belong to Christ. We're united to Christ. We are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and we operate in his, in his sway, and therefore lying has no part in our life, and we speak the truth in the presence of of God. Second question, why would he feel the need to to protest his truthfulness like that? What what has he said or what's he going to say that would cause uh, him to need to say that? Well, what he's about to affirm is, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, what I, when I say the truth here, I mean I love my Jewish people, right? I love them. And that's what evidently he thinks somebody's going to doubt, and right away, we can see why that might be. He's saying indirectly, well, they're accursed. They're cut off from Christ. And you can imagine trying to tell somebody, you're under a curse. You're cut off from the Messiah. And them saying, that's love talk? <laughs> you're talking to me, that's, that's supposed to be love when you talk to me that way? And Paul would say, yes, 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 it is. I don't want you to be cursed. And here's another, here's another clue. When he gets here and says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And they say, according to the flesh? What? We're not your real kinsmen? We're just according to the flesh? And Paul is going to say, yes, that's right. Because here in the next paragraph, he says, it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. No, not all Israelites are Israelites. Or more clearly here in verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. So my kinsmen, according to the flesh, may not even be children of God. And you can imagine them saying, and you're saying that you are filled with, with anguish and sorrow at our lostness? And Paul says, yes, I am. I must tell you the truth about what's going on here in regard to your rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. So those are two reasons or evidences right away we can see why he might need to protest his, his truthfulness. One more question. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ 
for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, they are accursed. They are cut off from Christ. And that's why Paul feels such sorrow and such unceasing anguish. And this is the phrase I want to close by thinking about. Unceasing. Over in Philippians 1, 4, 1, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And now he's saying he has unceasing anguish over the lostness of his Jewish kinsmen. How does unceasing go together with always here? Always joyful, always sad. Another verse that points in that direction is where Paul says in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we know, Paul knew, we know, somebody in our sphere of acquaintance is always rejoicing and somebody's always weeping. And if we're to have an empathetic heart toward them, our hearts feel both of those things at the same time. Can that really be? Is that really possible? Is, is there a maturity or a depth or a secret to grow up into here? And here's Paul's statement of how he does it. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Now those are simultaneous. We are sorrowful, yet at the same time always rejoicing. It is possible in Paul's way of looking at the world to experience sorrow and joy simultaneously in the same heart. And that's why it's not a contradiction back here to say I have unceasing I have unceasing anguish in my heart, and yet I always rejoice. doesn't mean he dances at a funeral, and it doesn't mean he's morose at a wedding. He knows how to foreground one appropriately to love people, but it does mean Here's the secret. Philippians 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, to be joyful, to have a deep, underlying, joyful, settled contentment. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. There's where I get that word secret or mystery. There's a secret to grow up into. There's a mystery to learn in the Christian life of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the all things includes hunger and plenty, abundance and need. So what we've seen in these couple of verses is that this is not the main this is this is not the main point of 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 Romans 9 1 to 5 we saw that last time 
These are subordinate points, but they're real, and they're necessary implications here. They are the way Paul faced reality, and he's commending himself to our consideration as he says, imitate me elsewhere. And so he ha- it's, a, it's a truth issue here, and it's a, it's a feeling issue here. In truth, we are in Christ and not liars and yielding always to the Holy Spirit to shape our consciences. And in emotion, we are complex creatures. We know how to feel continual sorrow over the people we love who are lost, and we know how to rejoice at all times.